Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we are talking about surgical menopause, which we know is often forgotten in the total conversation about menopause, but is becoming such an important part of so many women's lives. So today I am delighted to have as a guest on my show, Jen Smurs. She is a wellness coach, but she is also someone who has been through her own journey of surgical menopause. Welcome to the show, Jen. Oh, thank you very much, Clarissa. Jen, I know that you've been through this unexpected and quite challenging journey of surgical menopause. I'd love for you to share with the listeners why you had to go through this particular journey and you know what it has meant for you. Absolutely. Well, it's coming up to two years, uh, May 2019. I was 43 at the time and um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was, as anyone would be, shocked when they received that diagnosis, but they had caught it early. It was stage one. So with the exception of needing the lumpectomy and and possible treatments, I thought, you know, it, it was as good as it could get when you receive news like that. Sadly, I needed two lumpectomies within a 13-day period. I was able to recover a little bit before my five months of chemo started that summer. And then I had three months of daily radiation bringing me to March of 2020. So I was hoping that was really the end. I was still in Herceptin treatment, which is just a treatment when you're estrogen positive with breast cancer. It is IV treatment that you, well, at least in my in my case, I needed for 18 months every three weeks to hopefully prevent any future cancerous cells. So again, I thought that I was through my journey and just letting my body heal at that point. And then sadly, last, I guess it was near the end of May and June, it's hard to remember exactly just with COVID happening, my, my mammogram got delayed a few times, I discovered that I had another tumor. So in July of 2020, I had to have my double mastectomy. And the alarming part was it was within a year of my first diagnosis. And I was still in that Herceptin 
treatments. So there was a lot of unknowns. Cancer can certainly come back, but after the vigorous treatment I had and still being in treatment, it was a little alarming for myself and certainly my medical team. So that's when they had suggested after I healed from the double mastectomy that a hysterectomy would be the next best thing just to avoid any hormones that are still living. So November 2020, I had my fourth surgery within 18 months. And at that point had just turned 45. That is just a massive, massive journey. And I'm just sitting here sort of taking a deep breath hearing you talk about that. I mean, one surgery, as I know many of my friends and former colleagues have had, is one thing, but four in you know, a relatively short period of time is is massive. I mean, on an emotional as well as a physical level, isn't it? It was. It. I mean, I, I'm blessed that I went in. I know I had cancer, but I went in otherwise quite healthy. I am a fitness instructor and, and eat well. I truly attribute that to me recovering as quickly as I did from each surgery That being said, as you mentioned, the emotional and physical setbacks that I've had after each has has been quite profound. And I would say even more this time, you know, my, my body is still trying to recover probably from the last two years of everything that I've been through. Yes. And I mean, that they then so quickly recommended a hysterectomy is kind of like, wow, that I mean, that is huge, because then you're also not only dealing with the whole breast cancer. I know listening to friends has been such a big journey emotionally, how how big that is. And then to actually be essentially tipped into menopause without choice is huge. It was. And I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, yes, I have older friends and, and my mom and so forth. So you hear about some of the symptoms, but you really never know. Everyone goes through menopause and premenopause, postmenopause differently. And even speaking to my gynecologist, who also strongly recommended this surgery, she too didn't know how we would treat it afterwards, because oftentimes it's through hormone therapy to help women, you know, just deal with the different symptoms they may be experiencing. But that was not an option for me with the type of cancer I had. No. And I think that's the other side that's so hard, because sometimes women do have hysterectomy as a result of other issues, fibroids, endometriosis. But here you are locked out of that traditional HRT route that might have been part of your prescription. What have you been able to put in place to support yourself in this menopause phase? Well, <laughs> it's all been self, <laughs> self-administered self because I mean, each time I have a doctor's appointment, and I still have many, I, you know, I share the symptoms that I'm experiencing. So right now, well, at least in the last three months, I have noticed dizziness, slight headaches, which is something I've, I've never suffered from, blurry vision, my body and bones aching, and just exhaustion. I mean, I, again, I'm an early riser, I'm a go-getter, but by the you know, mid-afternoon, I, I'm really exhausted. In the last couple of weeks, it's been in the morning as well. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I've tried to determine, you know, what, is this menopause? Is this because of my, you know, the last two years of treatments? I mean, it's it's hard to distinguish 
the symptoms that you're having, because these are common symptoms for many things. So I've just used my mindfulness activities every day. I ensure that it, it doesn't even have to be a formal meditation per se, but I do wake up and do some deep belly breathing and just a little gratitude. You know, what, what, what's going well puts me in a positive mindset for the rest of the day. My practice yoga, because I am a, an, an instructor of yoga, so I haven't been teaching since COVID. However, I make sure that this just stretching and giving my body a chance to, to heal and, and slow down. I did just, a, I guess it's been 10 days, I went for a follow-up appointment and learned that now I have osteoporosis, which also came as a surprise. Again, the ways to avoid osteoporosis is working out, weight-bearing, eating well, all of which I do. But apparently, this is very common for breast cancer patients, as well as women that have been forced into menopause. So that could attribute to some of the bone aches. It's There's just a lot of unknowns as to all the symptoms, but certainly hot flashes. <laughs> that, I could say, <laughs> is the wonderful menopause setting in. Yes, exactly, Jen. And I mean, a lot of the symptoms you're describing, we would in in a classical sense, yes, attribute those to such a big hormone shift, you know, that you've seen dizziness and you have mild headaches. But it's kind of, I would say, it feels like it's all compounded for you and really hard to take that on board. It must be, you know, incredibly hard to do that. You know what, I, I, I do just try to stay positive. And I mean, it, it is tough when people say, how are you? You're like, do I really give the honest answer? Or do I just, you know, grin and bear it and say, I'm doing great. I make sure that I'm working out every, you know, every day in some faucet. As, as you know, Clarissa, I've got uh, my dog. So she keeps me uh, walking every day. And I don't let the you know, the hot flashes, the dizziness, or the aches and pains to stop me from continuing to work out. I just some days have to adjust it. You know, instead of doing weights, it might be weight bearing exercises, or it might be more stretches as opposed to a cardio. And I think that that helps, you know, listening to the body, but for that for myself, doing something physical, getting outside in nature has has helped me get through this because we've there's nothing we can do. <laughs> this is this is reality. If we could skip menopause, we all would, wouldn't we? Well, I think I think that's very true. And I think you've not had it. Well, no woman has a choice, but you haven't had a choice or should we say a run up to it? Run up, I think, is a good way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just been bang. <laughs> this is your reality. Yeah. And of course, it, it for you, that is then this huge hormone shift that is unexpected, I suppose. I mean, did your gynecologist, your oncologist in any way prepare you for what menopause could be like? You know what? And I, I don't want to put blame on anyone, but no, <laughs> they honestly didn't. My, I loved my gynecologist. She was very sweet when I talked to her pre-opt and, you know, getting her opinion on what, what made the most sense. And then had my surgery in November the follow-up appointment that I was supposed to have in December, she ended up going on a, uh, on a leave of absence. I don't really know the details. So I, I haven't had the female support from, from that standpoint. And my oncologist, unless I ask a question, he really isn't forthcoming with support or helping me in, in that sense. And I, 
so I've had to, you know, I, I'm not necessarily someone that would go online and research everything because I am a worrier. And again, everyone's situation is different. I've just tried to take the symptoms that I have and address it in the way that I've, you know, addressed other things in life in terms of dealing with stress and, and so forth. So yeah, I just, in terms of sleeping, that is another area that has definitely been affected. Just the interrupted sleeping and waking up, whether it's because you've had a hot flash. So I just try to put certain practices in place to to get me through <laughs> each day. And hopefully this, maybe if with me being pushed into it, I'll be done really, really fast. <laughs> That's also the good side that that might just be the case that it will, that it will happen faster. You may not have that sort of via 10 year run up that this will be a much a much shorter sharper but i'm touched by we can hope right <laughs> yeah we can hope but i'm touched by your positivity jen and and i'd love to sort of ask how much of that are you attributing to practices like yoga and mindfulness you know what i i do attribute quite a bit to that i think mindfulness and again every everyone has different interpretations for what that that means for myself, because I enjoy physical activity, yoga allows me to slow down. It's a lot more of listening to your body. So by all means, yoga can be very taxing on your body, but it doesn't have to be. So it's using the breath, trying to relax, noticing how your body feels, where can you release things. So I, I think that is very important. And it's helped me in terms of the mindfulness piece, again, I think many of us are so busy and we just we just go through life, you know, like a hamster on the wheel without always stopping and just being in the moment. So, you know, I know people are busy and it, I don't mean for an hour you have to just sit and, and take in the senses and so forth. But when you go for a walk, instead of, you know, talking on the phone possibly just look at all the beautiful, vibrant colors or, you know, what sounds do you hear? And for myself, you know, some people that may sound silly, but it just, it really brings you in tune to the present moment. And it, I don't know, I feel it has set me up into a better mindset. Yeah. A mindset where you're much more able to maybe put, as you said, you're a warrior, maybe that lets you release some of that worry that can be there. And as a yoga teacher, you're right, aren't you? It's clearly not all about strong yoga for you. And I love that you said you could do other types of yoga that were not as taxing on the body at times. Right. Which one, do you practice then restorative or yin yogas or? You know what? A, a little bit of both. It, it, it does depend, depend on how I'm feeling. Certainly around bedtime, the restorative is, is wonderful. And that's just getting into a comfortable position. Yin yoga is is one of my favorites as well. However, when you are extra tight or your muscles are sore, sometimes even that can be a little intense because you are holding the poses for such a long period. I think fortunately for myself, because I have the background in yoga, I just really go with how my body's feeling at the time. Sometimes, you know, a little bit more flowy movements is is needed. And then other times it's holding a pose that's not too taxing and just really getting deep into that pose and being able to use the breath and, you know, focusing more on being present as opposed to trying to do a, you know, more advanced pose. Yes, and I, that's a good point. You don't have to go to the toughest pose to get the benefits, do you? Not at all. No, 
No, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people who think yoga class is about being super flexible and then they go, Well, I can't stand on my head. Thinking, gosh, it took me years to be able to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Or the flip side, people don't realize, you know, it can be very intense and you're working the entire body. I mean, the balance poses and then your core and the, the strength in the legs. So there's there's always two different views. But I think the beauty of yoga is that there is a wide spectrum and you can adapt each pose and each practice to to your own needs, but certainly to your participants' needs. And I think you mentioned also about doing some weight-bearing exercises. And as now you have this osteoporosis condition, I mean, that is really important, isn't it? It really is, yes. So, I mean, again, I feel fortunate that that is a part of my routine, which is a little disheartening because, I, I you know, it's like, why? Well, how could I have that at 45 when I'm, I've been a fitness instructor? I, I do all the things that they're saying, you know, to do to hopefully prevent it. But again, you, you can't focus on on the negative. You just have to accept the diagnosis and, and move forward and doing, you know, weight-bearing exercises is, is recommended. And as long as I can do them, I will. Exactly. And I think to keep where you are now and, and sort of try and keep as well as you can is very important. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're also a wellness coach. How has your experience of the cancer and the early hysterectomy and now osteoporosis impacted the way that you coach others? You know what? I It is has impacted it very like profoundly. One of the areas that I really focus on is the products that, that individuals are, are using. Because through this journey, I have learned and researched a lot and found connections between the, the chemicals and toxins, the sugars added into food, the processed foods, all of these things that can contribute to many ailments, including cancer, mental health issues, osteoporosis, osteoporosis, these various things. So when I'm talking to individuals, I really want the background. I want to know what symptoms uh, they're experiencing, what products they use, which many people don't really focus on, but then bring the awareness. You know, are they are they using natural products? Are they using cleaners that have chemicals that could be affecting their health? And even the, the different supplements and so forth, I, I've never really been someone that has taken pills or supplements because I, I felt that my, my diet was, is quite rainbow colored. However, supplements aren't all created the same. Some have a much better absorption rate or others, you know, might be filled with additional pieces. So you're not getting the full potency of the vitamin or supplement that you're actually taking. So this is all part of my conversation when I'm when I'm talking with individuals to to see what their situation is, to try to address the symptom and find the root cause and then make suggestions for possible more natural and products that might be more healthier and safer for them. Yeah, and I think that's an incredibly important point that I think many of us take supplements and think they're fine, but we're not aware of how much is, as you said, added into them to get them out into the shelves in our supermarkets and pharmacies. 
Absolutely. And I, I was very naive to that. I And being cost effective, I always looked for what was on sale. And, you know, reading the labels, they seemed very similar. But again, I am learning now that that is not the case. And yeah, even though some of the supplements might be a little bit more if you buy them from an, you know, a source that is more natural and not putting the fillers, I think the advantage is you will feel better. And that's ultimately any way that I can, you know, decrease my symptoms and, and feel healthier is, is the route that I want to go. Yes. And are there any that you particularly take, given your change situation, that maybe you didn't take before? Yes. So vitamin D I take now and I never took it before. I knew it was, a, you know, I live in Canada, so we have cold and warm months for sure. But I am an outdoors person. So I, I never took vitamin D before. I need now calcium for learning that I have osteoporosis. Glucosamine is another one that I've just added because of my aches and pains. And vitamin B, just overall health and brain health, as well as my, my omegos. Yeah, that's, that's, and I think you brought up the last one, which is the omegas, which are really, really important, aren't they? They absolutely are. Omega threes in particular. <laughs> right. And, and the balance between the threes and six. Um, I think so many of us are not in the right balance. We are, should be three to one. And I don't think many of the diets that we have and the way our body takes in everything, we really need to look at how it is absorbed and how the cells are functioning. And again, using natural products is, has, is what I feel helps individuals get to that state. Yes, and obviously omega-3s are really, really good for women in menopause because they help to get a healthy gut, they help our brain functions, and they help us to, you know, just generally manage things like hot flushes even. Absolutely. And you mentioned diet there. I mean, you talked about a rainbow diet. How does that play out for you? So I... I'm not a vegetarian, but I do eat an abundant amount of vegetables and, and fruit, only whole grains. I no, I, I also am, have a balance and I do have a sweet tooth. So my way of balancing that out is I make all my desserts or chocolates and things like that so that I can control. I don't use sugar. I'll use maple syrup or just different ways to alter recipes. I think adding spice and various flavors. So when I look at my plate, it's mostly, you know, the rainbow colors. And I just mean in terms of all the vegetables and, and fruits. And then I have the, the protein and the grains as a smaller part of my plate. And you never received any dietary advice, I presume, around your, your cancer diagnosis or... You know what, as, as part when you, I mean, when you, when you get that wonderful diagnosis, they give you a binder. And I mean, there, there is some literature on food but sadly it a lot of it is still back to the the Canadian food guide which i think has been changed a little bit and modified but it it needs to be updated a lot more you do hear a lot about red red meat certainly eating organically or no meat at all anything with pesticides you know so that certainly is something that i have known over the years even before the diagnosis What's troubling with that is so many people can't afford the organic option. So it 
it just doesn't really seem fair that, you know, if you can't afford it or that's not where you choose to spend the money that you're at a disadvantage. But I do make sure that I clean all my fruit in a certain solution and vegetables to hopefully get the the best of the product without always having to buy organic. Yeah. And I think that's a very valid point that it's very easy to say, yes, you should eat organic and you should eat clean and you should do this and that. But yes, you're right. Not everybody has the finances to do that. They just don't have the money to go down that route. And so they have to take a different approach. And I think your approach there also about really cleaning things well and buying the best you can is really important for people to recognize that we have other options if we don't have the finances to eat all our meals organic or even a part of them. Exactly. So it's just being being aware. I mean, buying processed foods has never been you know, something that I've done, but it is educating again people on, on, on the labels and just being more aware of what's put into our food and the products, I think, is very, very important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've been through and you're still on this journey. When you have discussions with your clinicians, what sort of questions do you wish that you could have asked? And maybe on top of that, that you would say to someone else in your situation that they should ask? Uh, Well, I mean, certainly to know what to expect. (laughs) The trouble with the hysterectomy is they didn't know how my body would react to being forced into that. And as mentioned, all the a common option is to do the hormone treatments or hormone therapy to help with some of the symptoms, which we knew from the onset that I wouldn't be able to do that option. So, you know, they gave various symptoms that I could have, but prior to the surgery, it's similar to when you take a prescription, they, they give sort of the warnings. You don't necessarily know if you'll have all or more or, you know, none at all. I, one area would be after the hysterectomy, I, it was friends that had to tell me that are in the, the medical industry that I should be taking vitamin D and calcium and the weight bearing exercises. That wasn't information that either the gynecologist or oncologist had said to me. So, I mean, as an, I guess we need to be more of an advocate and ask more questions. So for individuals that, I mean, I hope no one else has to go through this, but the reality is there, there will be people asking about the symptoms, asking about what we can do to prevent, what natural remedies can be done. Is there anything I can do to prepare, whether it's food, you know, eating a proper way before or after surgeries, what exercises can you be doing before as well as after? Those are things that I, I guess I didn't ask because I thought I had a good handle of those, <laughs> those topics. But I was, as a patient, I, I probably should have. Yeah. And I think those are the sorts of things we hear patient advocacy groups say too, aren't they? That, you know, coming prepared with those sets of questions is incredibly important because you're taking a lot of other information at the same time, aren't you, Jen? 100%. And I mean, my husband was at some appointments. However, and I, you know, whether it's chemo fog, whether it's menopause, I don't know, you know, your brain just can, can't always take in everything. So I wish that I had written down, you know, brought my little notepad. So that's another area that I would recommend, you know, if anyone's going for a surgery or 
you know, they, they're just going for follow-ups or certain or whatever the case, maybe having a notepad or having your phone, if, if that's what you use, to put in the different things that are talked about, because I would be like, oh, I'll remember that. And you go home and you're like, oh, I don't remember <laughs> what was said. So that would be another piece of advice I would give to people. Yes, yeah, so it's a sort of come there prepared not to remember and write things down so you can reflect on it when you get home and think, ah, oh, that's what they said. Because you get a tremendous amount of information about what to do and what medication and what's going to happen next, don't you? You really do. And, you know, again, some of it is is just so foreign. And certainly each time I went and was told, you know, that I the cancer had come back, you, you kind of go into a blur. Like it, it's like you see them talking to you, but it, it doesn't feel real. Nothing is um, really sinking in. No, I mean, you're trying to process what they're saying, but they carry on talking, don't they? They carry on telling you. They, they, they do. And they don't mean to. I mean, it's their job. It's their job. But I, I would hope that they would see the blank look on my face that I'm not taking anything in. <laughs> no, because you're just in a state of in a state of shock, really, aren't you? As they as they tell you that, and then you have to think, okay, so yes, I think that that's a great piece of advice. You know, if there are listeners here who are in similar situations or have somebody close to them, or I think writing things down is incredibly important because. We can refer back to things when we get get back home. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a gratitude practice earlier on, and that is always seen as being incredibly beneficial. How would you say, Jen, that has helped you in coming to terms with much of what is going on? You know what? It has it definitely has helped me. Obviously, some days are better than others. And, you know, initially you might think, I have nothing to be thankful about. But we all do have something, right? I'm still here. I'm still, you know, able to get out of bed. So I think it just, and people do it at night. People do, you can do it at any time. I just find in the morning, you know, listing, and it could be what, what went well in the day before, or it could be what's going to, you know, what's happening today and what I'm grateful or thankful for. It just sets your, your mind in, in a good frame of mind or good in a positive way, because everyone's situation, um, there could be negative things, right? I mean, I don't think everyone um, lives in this perfect world. But if we're focusing on that, there's no positive benefit to ourselves. So let's just try to find one or two things and not have it be a stressful activity, but just, you know, what am I grateful for? And then whether that's before you go to bed or in the morning, like myself, it, it really does bring you back to reality. Yeah. And then you can either write it down, can't you, or just say it out loud, whatever works for you. Whatever works. I know people feel very strongly about writing it out. And I think there's many advantages. You know, it's getting it down on paper. I myself, I just go when I'm when I'm doing my deep breathing in the morning, I'll just go through the things that I'm thankful and it's in my mind. But whatever works similar to journaling people some people love journaling i don't do a lot of journaling but there's again there's many advantages to actually writing something out and then you can go back to it you know you're having a bad day you can go back and see what you were thankful for you know a week ago and so that that i guess would be the advantage of actually writing it out yeah very true and as i said that just depends on you i'm not a great journaler either so you know, I, re I recognize that for some people, that's 
absolutely key for some people. It's not quite something that we find easy to keep. But being grateful and having even those thoughts, and I can tell from you and your positivity is huge, Jen. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I do try again. <laughs> you're, you're only here and seeing a, a glimpse. I just, uh, it, it doesn't serve us well when we're negative. It, it doesn't help our situation. So even if I'm not feeling great one day, I try to that be a, you know, I validate. Yeah, it's okay to, <laughs> to complain or not feel good, but let's move on this way after I've, you know, had my little pity party. <laughs> I think you're probably quite justified some days indeed. Yeah. If you were to give some advice to someone who might be facing similar situations to yourself, what would be some of those key things you might say people to either think about or to do or prepare to do? You know what? I think a bedtime routine is really, really key. I, throughout my life, Again, with being a worrier, there's times I have trouble falling asleep or I wake up and I worry and I can't fall back to sleep. And I'm certainly not alone. I think sleeping is a huge issue. So having some good little routine, whether that is stretching, whether that's reading before you go to bed, um, I certainly would say going to bed and waking up at relatively the same time from workday to weekend within reason. I think that's important. Having your room, you know, for myself, I like it dark, not having any TV on right, right before you go to bed. So these are things that have helped me to have a more restful sleep. And I think it's really anyone could use the benefits of having a proper routine. So it just puts, similar to the gratitude journal, it just puts you in the right frame of mind doing relaxing and slowing things down and then hopefully having a good night's sleep. That I think is excellent advice. So I would say, yes, focus on trying to get the best night's sleep or rest that you can is so important. As you say, when you combine that with, with gratitude and some of the other things I know you do, like mindfulness and breathing and yoga, that puts you into a space where maybe, Jen, you feel more in control than you might have done otherwise. Absolutely. Jen, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing, you know, a, a huge story, a huge story. I mean, something that has happened to you in such a short space of time. How can my listeners hear or learn more from you? How can they connect with you? Well, they are more than welcome. I am on LinkedIn and there's not many Jen <laughs> Smurzes. They are welcome to email me as well. My, my email is J-E-N-N-S-M-R-Z at gmail.com. I am also on Facebook, again, under Jennifer Smurs, and on Instagram. And my handle is Smurs, S-M-R-Z-J-E-N-N. That is wonderful. And we will put that in the show notes. Wonderful. Jen, thank you for coming on Thriving Through Menopause. And I hope that, you know, listeners, you heard a very, a very challenging journey that's involved not just menopause, but many other aspects and taken heart from Jen's approach to this and the things she puts in place into her life. So thank you, Jen, for taking the time to share this with my listeners. Oh, my pleasure. And I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you, Clarissa. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.